1: Welcome everyone to Long Ball Legacies, my name is Daniel Port, I'm your host, thank you so much for joining us here on the Pitcherless Podcast Network, we are here every other Saturday, today actually we're here on a Friday, I'm coming out a little early, but thank you so much for joining us, we are here to break down the legacies of the players who met the most throughout baseball history, both today and in the past, and try to determine who had the greatest impact, who mattered the most, and just have some fun with it. So thank you for joining me. Today, we are putting together the third part of what has been a really fun little group of players to analyze. First, we started with Bryce Harper and talking about young phenoms and players that we really hyped up as they were still even just teenagers. And then we moved into Mickey Mantle, who felt like the best example of what... Bryce Harper could have been if he had stayed more healthy. And then today, we're going to talk about the player who seems to have most closely emulated Mantle's career and still fits in with that young phenom, highly hyped star that we looked at before they could even buy beer. And that's going to be Mike Trout. Now, Mike Trout was the easy choice to round out this trio. Harper was such a heralded phenom. He was compared to LeBron James, and Mickey Mandela hit the big leagues at 19 years old. Now, legends told about him that feel like uh, they should almost include, like, a blue ox or involve a pantheon of some sort. But do yourself a favor and Google Mike Trout stories. That's what I did when I was doing research for this. And you will find article after article, story after story, of players and scouts and coaches just gushing over the legendary things that Mike Trout did as a young player, and it feels mythological. It feels like the kind of tall tales that I often say baseball is full of that is almost sort of America's mythology and background. Trout absolutely fits in the young phenom mold. Now, Before I get into Trout's career, all the year to year accomplishments, I want to start as usual giving something of an overview of Trout's 12 year career so far from a, a big picture viewpoint. His 82.4 war is fifth all time among center fielders and is 37th amongst position players. His 350 home runs is tied for 13th all time amongst center fielders. His career 587th. Lugging percentage is third all time among center fielders and 11th amongst all players. His career 1.002 OPS occupies those same ranks, a third amongst center fielders and 11th amongst all players, thanks to a career 415 OBP, which ranks 9th all time amongst center fielders and 28th all time. His 176 career OPS Plus is seventh all time and third among center fielders. And only three center fielders have played at least 1,200 games at center field with at least 350 home runs and 200 stolen bases Willie Mays, Carlos Beltran, and Mike Trout. Uh, he won Rookie of the Year. He has gone to the All Star game 10 times along with two All Star MVPs. He's won nine Silver Sluggers and has won the MVP three times, which is a feat. Only replicated by nine other players. Yogi Berra, Roy Campanella, Joe DiMaggio, Jimmy Fox, Mickey Mantle, Stan Musial, Albert Pujols, A-Rod, and Mike Schmidt. That's a pretty darn good list to be on. According to The Athletic's Joe Poznanski, believe i'm saying that sorry joe if i've mispronounced your last name trout has led league in at least four major statistical categories in every full season of his major league career which is just insane when you really stop and think about it oh for the record all these things i've listed he's only 31 coming into the season so we're still in the middle of his prime but let's not get ahead of ourselves here i think to really appreciate Mike trout and really appreciate the mythology and story around Mike Trout, we have to start back at the beginning really. Mike's dad, Jeff Trout, was a pretty talented ball player in his own. Tearing through the minors at A and AA, hitting 303 with an 808 OPS in his minor league career. He was a smaller guy than Mike is and so he was more of a contact hitter but still had a very promising career before it was derailed by four knee surgeries and a wide variety of additional injuries, such as hand injuries and whatnot. At some point the story also goes that Jeff felt the twins, the, the organization he was playing with at the time, weren't prioritizing him and he felt he had to start focusing on the rest of his life, especially his home life. And the he basically goes to the twins and demands to be promoted to Triple A. The twins refused to promote him, but When then Jeff said, cool, then release me so I can go pursue that opportunity with another team, they also refused to do that. This leads to an impasse between Jeff and the Twins. And in 1986, he retires from baseball at the age of 25. At the time, he was considered over a year older than the typical double-A player. And we'd all say 25 is, even today, pretty old for a double-A player. Now, he was questionable at Double A, he hit three twenty one with an eight fifty eight OPS in 105 games that year in 1986. So he may have had something of a legitimate beef. Part of the problem likely was tied to Jeff's size. Again, he was about 5'8", and so he didn't really have a position. He tried second base, at first, and that didn't really stick. And ended up settling at a third base, which was a problem because he was blocked legitimately at the major league level at third base by Gary Gaetti who was a star. He had 34 home runs in 1986. There was no way that Jeff was going to play over Gary Gaetti in that year. But he probably could have helped at least at second base, even if his defense wasn't that great there, because Steve Lombazardi was an awful hitter that year. He had a putrid 78 OPS plus as the second baseman. That is terrible. So you have to think that there was some disconnect there where Jeff probably could have helped. The Twins at the major league level, but that was not how fate was going to have it. And so Jeff does retire at a young age from baseball and ends a promising baseball career. Either 1986 would be the last year of Jeff Trout's professional baseball playing career. He didn't really quite know that baseball wouldn't exactly be out of his life for that long. Because just four years later, Mike Trout's born in 1990. Now, the early years of Mike Trout's career aren't quite as storybook as you expect. There are dozens, if not hundreds, of stories of his excellence as a high school player and coaches and scouts marveling over his speed and his athletic prowess, and they're not hard to find. But in some ways, how that translated then to how the major leagues felt about him was downright weird. He was pretty well-known, like I said, coming into the draft, and was widely considered a high-caliber prospect. But no one was slapping with the designation of the sort of greatest of his generation whispers that you heard with someone like a Bryce Harper or a Mickey Mantle. None of that really was there for Mike Trout. Heck, if you go to 2009 draft, 24 players were taken in that draft ahead of Mike Trout. Again, going back to Joe Posnanski, He wrote that there were a ton of excuses that were made by teams at the time. Trout was from New Jersey, which this meant because of the cold weather that he played a lot less ball than a lot of the prospects and so got seen by scouts a lot less. New Jersey wasn't exactly known at the time for producing high-level prospects, so that could have worked against him. He had been something of a late bloomer in terms of high school production, especially from a power standpoint. So all these things had an effect on how scouts saw Trout, but still, this is often joked about as sort of one of the biggest whiffs collectively by by the league in terms of one of the greatest players of all time from a scouting perspective some of it also boiled down to questions about his build where i mentioned before that mike's dad jeff was a smaller guy he played a 5'8 when he was in the majors this was not the case for mike it was necessarily where he got it from but he came in the league at Right around 6'2", 6'1", over 200 pounds. He was built in that sort of, I think of, you look at LeBron James, you'd be like, LeBron James could have been a star in any sport he wanted to play. You name it, with the build he has, he could have played football, he could have played soccer, he could have played baseball. You name it, he had the physical skills to play whatever sport he wanted to. And Trout was like this too. Uh, The build, whenever I look at him, reminds me of, I played rugby for about five years or so, and he had the build of like a fullback or a, or a center in rugby—the big, broad shoulders, a big torso. Big—he just was a big dude, and I think that caused some concerns, especially concerning at the time he was so speed-focused that I think scouts couldn't really put the two things together. Couldn't really say to themselves, how could a guy that big be that fast? When you start looking at some of the prospect rankings. Baseball America had him ranked as the 80th ranked prospect that year. He got into the minors themselves and he starts to blossom there as a 17-year-old in rookie ball. Trout hit 360 across 39 games with a 925. Against. This earns him a five-game promotion to single A-ball. That would carry over into 2010 where he would start again at single A-ball. And he picks up right where he leaves off. He hits 362 with a 979 OPS across 81 games. He was named to the Futures Game that year, and as the story goes, he comes into the game. He hit the ground ball to the left side of the field, and was timed by scouts running out of ground that ground ball from anywhere from 3.86 seconds to 3.90 seconds, which for a righty. Concerning, they have to actually travel a further distance than a lefty who was already over six feet tall, over 200 pounds, was astonishingly fast. That is very fast for a guy that size. It really just shocked scouts. It was sort of one of those things where they had to be like, we have to have gotten this wrong because it felt that unbelievable. But there was trout that fast, that strong, that powerful. Perhaps the greatest testament to his bright future already at this point was his teammates and their attitude there are stories of trout attempting to throw away an old pair of worn out spikes and his teammates fighting over them because they wanted to keep them as souvenirs because they already knew he they were going to be worth something someday that my trout was going to be something special by may of 2010 keith law had bumped trout from 48th in his rankings to number 14 by mid-season he bumped him all the way up to number three in his rankings and baseball america actually had him at number two Which, if you remember, they started him out as the 80th ranked prospect there. After 368 plate appearances at single A ball, he had stolen 45 bases in just 81 games while striking out just 52 times and walking 46 times. Think about that. He had almost had more stolen bases that season than he had strikeouts. That's crazy. So this earns him a promotion to high A ball. Where he hits 306 over 50 games with another 11 stolen bases to go along with an 8.21 OPS. In 2011, he's called up to Double A and suddenly starts developing some pop to go along with his blazing speed, hitting 3.26 with a 2.18 ISO across 412 plate appearances. By now, he's looked about as ready as any 19-year-old possibly could look in terms of getting ready for the big leagues. And when Angels center fielder Peter Borges went down with an injury, Trout was given his first taste of the big leagues. He gets 135 plate appearance, cup of coffee roughly spread out across the rest of the season. And as would be expected for any 19-year-old in the bigs for the first time, he struggles, hitting two twenty with five home runs and four stolen bases across 40 games. The following year, Trout starts out at triple-A. But he didn't spend a lot of time there as he hit 476 over 93 plate appearances. And so the Angels call him right back up. And this time he was there to stay. So Trout gets the call up and he never looks back. As it was really a rookie season for the ages. At one point in the season, he broke an American League record by scoring a run in 14 consecutive games. By the All-Star break, he had already stolen 26 bases to go along with a 341 average, 12 home runs, and a nine fifty-nine OPS. Again, he's, 19, he's 20 years old at this point. He's named to his first All-Star game where he gets a single and a walk. In July, he ties our rookie record by scoring 34 runs in the month. to August, Trout was hitting over 340 still, becoming the first rookie to have that high an average, that many games into their rookie year. All in all, he finishes the year with a 326 average, 30 home runs, and 83 RBIs. While leading the league in runs with 129, he's led the league in stolen bases with 49, and led the league in OPS Plus with a 168 mark. He was the youngest player ever to hit at least 20 home runs and steal at least 40 bases in a season, and was the only player to hit 30 home runs, steal 45 bases, and score 120 runs in a season regardless of rookie or not. He wins rookie of the year by a landslide and wins his first silver slugger and finishes second in the AL MVP voting. Again, this is as a rookie. The fact of the matter is, he probably actually should have won the MVP that year. He actually led the league in war that year with 10.5 war. The next closest hitter that year to him was Robinson Cano with 8.4 war. That's a full two war below what Trout put up that year. He probably would have won it, honestly, if it hadn't been two things working against him. First, the Angels finished third in the division and missed the playoffs. And that still mattered back then in terms of MVP voting. And secondly, Miguel Cabrera finished one of the most difficult feats of baseball year by winning the Triple Crown by leading the league in home runs, RBI, and batting average. And it's hard to top that narrative in an MVP vote. And obviously, Miguel Cabrera deserved it probably for pulling that off. But despite that, Trout's season was worth 3.4 more than Miguel Cabrera's. And I mean, he really has a legitimate argument for winning MVP that year in his rookie season. Now, moving from that year, though, if you expected a sophomore slump from Trout in 2013, there was not one coming he ends up hitting an astonishing 323 with 988 ops which is good for a 179 ops plus along with 97 rbis 27 home runs 33 stolen bases and a league leading 109 runs and 110 walks when he hits for the cycle on may 21st he became the youngest player in al history to do so and the sixth youngest player ever in all the leagues He was named in the All-Star game again, and in July, he managed to reach base in every game of the month. He wins the Silver Slugger award again, and for the second year in a row, finishes second in MVP voting. Once again, he loses the MVP vote to Miguel Cabrera, despite beating him by 1.4 war that year, and once again leading the league in war. Finally, in what will be a bit of a sad trend throughout Trout's career, the Angels miss the playoffs, wasting Trout's MVP caliber season here. And there is a legitimate argument that he should have been the MVP this year as well, which, considering he's won three in his career, makes you wonder how he would look differently at Trout already if he'd already won five MVPs, which there's evidence he probably should have already. Now, 2014 was just another ho-hum, insanely good offensive season for Trout the season was really first tr- trout's first real rough relatively speaking rough season by average as he has just 287 on the season with a 939 ops which is good for a 169 ops plus but he hits 36 home runs to go along with 39 doubles and nine triples he steals 16 bases while leading the league in runs with 115 and leads the league in total bases with 338 also leading the american league in RBIs with 111. He is named an All-Star for the third year in a row and hits a double and a triple with two RBIs to earn All-Star MVP honors. At the end of the year, he finally gets it. He is named MVP of the league. And honestly, this was the right call. He leads all hitters with 7.7 war. Yes, technically my boy Corey Kluber beat him with 8.1 war that year, but it's just so hard to vote for pitchers for those awards. Kluber got the Cy Young that year. They have their own award. Mike Trout was definitely the MVP in the American League that year, hands down. For the first and only time in Trout's career so far, they actually make the playoffs, but are defeated in the Division Series by the eventual World Series champions in the Kansas City Royals. Trout does hit a home run in the three-game series, but mostly struggles, hitting just .083 on the season. Just really a very disappointing outing. 2015 comes around, and the train honestly just keeps right on rolling for Trout, as he has his finest hitting season yet. He hits .299 with 41 home runs, 32 doubles, 6 triples, 11 stolen bases, 90 RBI, and 104 runs. His five ninety slugging percentage led the league as did his nine ninety-one OPS and one seventy-six OPS+. He is named to the All-Star Game yet again and wins his fourth consecutive Silver Slugger Award. He also becomes the youngest player to hit 100 home runs and reach 100 stolen bases. He probably had an argument for MVP that year as his 9.6 war was 2.1 war higher than the winner, Josh Donaldson, and it led the league as well. I remember that year voting-wise, and I honestly think it was a combo of sort of early MVP voter fatigue combined with Donaldson snagging a ton of headlines that year as the poster child for the Flyball Revolution. And it really felt like his peak year career-wise. Certainly they gave it to him as a reward for that and well-deserved. Josh Nolton had a fantastic season that year. It's just worth noting Trout was better and probably should have been the MVP. Moving to 2016, Trout, shockingly, I know, has a year to remember at the plate, hitting 315 while leading the league in OBP with a 441 mark to go with a league-leading 123 runs as well as 29 home runs. 30 stolen bases, 32 doubles, and 100 RBIs while repeating his career high 991 OPS from the season before. This year was good for a 173 OPS plus. At this point, Van Gressen declared that he had accumulated the most war for an age 24 player since 1913. This was also one of his best seasons defensively, and it led to a league leading 10.5 war and his second MVP award. This was Well-deserved, though Mookie Betts came the closest to challenging him with a 9.5 war mark, but Trout still had him beat. It's worth noting that in the first five full seasons of Trout's career so far, he hadn't finished worse than second in MVP voting. Those five years were all in a row. Only Bonds had done that previously. Really remarkable accomplishment, and what an incredible start to Trout's career. Trout also, of course, makes the all-star game that year and wins his fifth Silver Slugger award. Once again, Los Angeles misses the playoffs, so the Angels just can't seem to ever put together a good enough team around Trout to break through and get him back in the playoffs here. Now, a big part of any run of excellence like Trout had just gone on involves a little bit of luck, primarily injury luck. And finally, in 2017, that injury luck turned a bit. As in May of that year, he tore the UCL in his left thumb, which ended up in the first IL stint of his career. He ends up missing 39 games that year. He was still voted in the All-Star game, but obviously couldn't participate in it due to the thumb injury. In September, though, he did set a record for drawing a walk in 14 consecutive games, which is wild. Despite playing in just 114 games that season, he still managed to hit 33 home runs and scored 92 runs to go along with a three oh six average. A 4.42 OBP, which, by the way, led the American League, and a 1.071 OPS, which led both leagues, and was good for a 186 OPS+. Despite all the missed games, he still finished fourth in MVP voting, and that was the correct call, as he would only accumulated 6.9 WAR, only, uh, compared to Aaron Judge's 8. So, even with all those missed games, he still came pretty darn close to catching Aaron Judge there. It's honestly a testament to how good Trout is that he was able to miss that many games and still end up in the MVP conversation. Now, in 2018, Trout mostly bounced back to good health. He still missed some time on the injured list with wrist inflammation in August of that year, and he only played in about 140 games that season. Despite this, he had 25 home runs and was hitting 312 at the break, so he makes the All-Star game again. All in all, he had a stellar year. Despite the mistime, he had 39 home runs that year with a league-leading 460 OBP and a 1.088 OPS, which is good that year for a 198 OPS+. He even stole 25 bases that year and scored 101 runs with 79 RBIs. Now imagine the numbers he could have put up that season if he didn't miss those 20 games or so. This kind of starts a trend in Trout's career where secretly he's actually improving or doing really remarkable things that are masked by injuries shortening a season so his numbers look more normal or pedestrian. In this year, for instance, in particular, he somehow managed not only to walk at a 20.1% rate, which is astonishingly elite. That is a fantastic number. It means in one of every five at-bats, he drew a walk, right? But he also only struck out at a mere 20.4% rate. To do that while still hitting 39 home runs and hitting over 300, is remarkable that's just fantastic now Mookie Betts deservingly won the MVP that year with 10.7 war but Trout actually made a perfectly valid case anyways even with missing those games with 9.9 war in the season which again makes you wonder what if he had gotten to play a full season that year could he have gotten up to maybe 11 war and beat out Mookie Betts that year who again deservingly won MVP and had a fantastic season It just really asks you a big what-if. Now, in the offseason, Trout signs the richest contract in sports history, an astonishing 12-year, $426 million contract. In some ways, I admire Trout's loyalty to the Angels. They seem to have treated him well, and he seems to like it there, but I just kind of wonder. He'd only been to the playoffs once in his career at this point, and I don't necessarily know what they'd done to earn his trust or convince him that he could win there. Now, again, I don't have the behind the scenes. I don't know what they're telling him. I don't know what they're promising him or what the plan is or anything like that. So they might have very legitimately convinced him of of all this and just didn't work. It just hasn't worked so far. And that's legitimate. That just sometimes happens in sports. But uh, a 12-year career, 12-year contract really seems like a long time to tie yourself down. To an organization that you haven't really found success with yet but that feels very on brand for trout who things like loyalty and being familiar with where he is seems to really matter to him now trout responds to this new contract by having an absolute barn burner of a season despite playing in just 134 games thanks to a neuroma in his foot trout hits 291 with 45 home runs 104 rbis 110 runs scored with 27 doubles and 11 stolen bases. He leads both leagues with a 438 OBP and led the American League in slugging and OPS, which is good for a 1.0 OPS and a 182 OPS+. He's rewarded with his third MVP award, and there's an argument he should have finished third behind Microsimeon and Alex Bregman, who played in more games. But think of it this way. They only beat Trout and War... By.06 for for Semion and one war, respectively, for Alex Bregman. Trout was better. He just didn't play in as many games, if that makes sense. Call it a makeup, I think, for how many times he's been robbed so far in his career that he gets this MVP as well. Now we jump from 2019 to 2020. And as I've said many times when talking about modern players, we talked about Seth Harper and with several other players we talked about obviously 2020 is the pandemic shortened season thanks to COVID and it's just a weird season for everybody right and this has huge effects on Trout's big picture career as I mentioned before somehow Trout was getting better and better as he was getting older uh, which is normal for players but I just it feels shocking for Trout because you're just like how could a guy this good already get better but he was and One of those places was in power production and you just kind of have to wonder if he had gotten a full 162 game season. He played in 53 games of the 60 games that season, hit 17 home runs, which was a 46 home run pace. So he was picking up right where he left off the year before. If he had done that, you wonder what that means for the rest of his career. When we look back at it in retrospect, could those 30 or so home runs that he didn't end up getting be the difference between him getting over the 500 home run mark or some of the other sort of milestones we use for the hall of fame. I like, I don't think it's going to hurt his hall of fame chances, but I think it certainly would have helped pad his resume when it comes time to sit down and debate. Who's the greatest baseball player of all time, because to catch bonds, to catch Aaron, to catch some of these great big home run kings, he's gonna need to get up at least over 500. for it to really feel like he even has a shot to catch them. It's worth noting there's no All-Star game that year, and he for the season is able to hit 281, puts together a 993 OPS, which is good for a 167 OPS plus. He has a great season and wins his eighth Silver Slugger Award, but does finish fifth in MVP voting, which looking at the numbers was the right call. He only puts up 1.8 war. That season in the shortened season, whereas Jose Abreu put up three WAR in that time period. Deservingly, Jose Abreu wins that that year. The again, it's just such a weird season that you don't know if there's a second half surge that pulled off or a four Abreu or something along those lines. Who knows? You just throw. I think the 2020. MVP debates is just out the window. It's just such a weird season. It's really hard to make sense of anything that happened that year, let alone anything in baseball. Now, the injury bug continues to make up for lost time in 2021. It really had not bit Trout at all in the beginning of his career and was definitely making up for lost time. Trout strains his calf in May, and that ends up turning out to be a torn calf muscle and basically cost him the entire rest of the season, and which is just such a shame. He only plays in just 36 games that year, hitting just eight home runs. Again, this plays into that what-if of could he have added another 30-something you know, something home runs to this year? But between that and the 30, he misses in 2020. Now, 60 home runs, you start to go, well, is that what's going to keep him from getting to 500, or is it even what's going to keep him from getting to 550 or higher? That's going to end up being a really big what-if, I think. In the history of baseball, when we come back and try to talk about Mike Trout's legacy, some of these injuries and some of that lost time in 2020 due to the pandemic. For now, moving into 2022, for the third year of the last four, Trout misses significant time in 2022. A rare back disorder called, I'm going to mispronounce this, so I apologize for butchering this, castover, castovertebral, castovertebral. Aha! Dysfunction limited him to just 119 games. Now, despite this, though, he has an incredibly good season, all things considered. He hits 40 home runs in just 119 games with a 283 average and a 999 OPS. Not to keep playing the what if game, but you have to wonder what kind of home run numbers he could have put up if he had played the full season. He was on pace for 54 home runs if you extend that out through the whole season. But it's close enough. You have to wonder if he could have gotten on a hot streak and made it so Judge wasn't the only player chasing 62 home runs that year. He finishes eighth in the MVP voting, which, again, was fair. He only had 6.3 war that year. And so while still very good, obviously, was nothing compared to Judge's 10.6 war that season. So I don't think he got robbed of an MVP that year. It's just really Astonishing to think he had 40 home runs in just 119 games. It's just so good. And again, it's one of those things where I feel like the injuries have started to mask just elite performance and improvement that Mike Trout is making because it makes his numbers look more pedestrian. makes him look more normal as opposed to this astonishing otherworldly production that it would be if he could just stay healthy now for a full season right now. Now, we have to wonder if this back disorder will be something that plagues Trout's career from here on out. Is his luck finally out? And therefore, are we not going to get to see the full potential of what Mike Trout could have been? I hope not. And I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't know enough about this disorder. I tried reading about it. And there's always so much I can understand because I'm not a doctor. So I don't want to speculate about Trout's health for the rest of his career. I just know it, it, can't be great for his career. Will it take a year off his career in the long run or things like that? Who knows? Now, with that being said, he's also still got plenty of prime years left. He's only 31. He still has a ton left in the tank if his body can hold up. He recently came out and said that it hasn't been an issue for about four months now. So hopefully that's true and we really get a great season out of Trout and a full season out of Trout. But you also always have to take the player's word with a grain of salt. They have different motivations for telling us that they're healthy. It's hard to really parse that out. Now, to be fair, if this back injury ended Trout's career tomorrow, it's already a Hall of Fame career. I don't think he can argue that in any way, shape, or form. Mike Trout is a first ballot Hall of Famer. No ifs, ands, or buts. It's more of a question of where on the list, both our list and really the list that we collectively as a society argue over who is the greatest baseball player of all time, who's the greatest center fielder of all time. That's the difference that this is all going to make for Mike Trout and his legacy. Again, he's already a Hall of Famer. There's no other way around it. But I also wonder, what if we got another 150-plus game Season out of Trout, these improvements that he's been making and and are still making. He's hitting more fly balls. He had a career-high 19.7% barrel rate in 2021. So he was making better, more powerful contact in the air in 2021. Could we really get an all-time season from him? Could he chase a place in the home run record books as well, joining Judge up there in those high American League home run totals it would be incredibly fun to see I would I want it so bad and really hopefully we will get that in 2023 it'd just be one of those sort of things we could then go back and tell our our grandkids about the way my grandpa and my dad talked to me about Mickey Mantle and things like that I really just want to see that happen that's Mike Trout's career in a nutshell so far now before we stop to rank him I want to talk about some of the other things with Mike Trout. First off, playoffs. He's only been in the playoffs once. They played three games. I know a lot that is something a lot of player people will hold against Trout, and I think it's unfair. I think that really the hard part is that baseball, for lack of a better, really way to talk about it or think about, it is one player can't win for his team, and. Hopefully now that he's got Otani and it seems like the Angels are starting to make some better personnel decisions, hopefully we can get more playoff by Trout. But I, I have a hard time really holding against Trout if that team hasn't made the playoffs more often. You, we can talk about his performance once they made the playoffs. But we can't really hold against him that team hadn't made the playoffs, I, I think. I and mean, we've talked about that with players like Ryan Sandberg or Ron Santo, basically any Cub from that era. It's hard to really say that that's completely their fault. So I don't necessarily hold that against Trout. But the other thing we want to talk about, and this is a good thing, is Mike Trout, like the person, as far as we know. Now, again, I don't know Mike Trout personally, but I've mentioned before we liked and consider the cultural things, the, the the type of person they are when we look at the rankings and he's considered one of the best teammates in the league he's actually honestly considered one of the best people in the league kind of period he's famously charitable he does hospital visit after hospital visit at see like children and things like that he's you know famous for playing catch with kids in the stands just because it's fun and he loves baseball and he likes seeing them have fun it's just the kind of thing you don't we could talk about how much we love Jordan and his compare, you know, his competitiveness or LeBron or Montana or whoever we think is Brady. We're not seeing those guys play catch with kids in the stands simply for no other reason than it's fun and because it brings joy to the child and to him. And so that's something that like really makes Mike Trout unique and I love him for. And it's obviously something to consider. But on the other hand, also... He fairly famously is pretty much the most boring goat any sport has ever had. Uh, he's not. He doesn't do big interviews. And for all the great, incredible tall tales that we have about Trout's greatness, there are just as many examples of a guy who likes things simple. He plays golf and excels at it. He likes the simple things. He While he works endlessly on baseball and works so, so hard to be good at baseball, He doesn't really have too many deep thoughts on the process. He's basically like the anti-Joey Votto. If you ask, Trout has famously many times been a, I see the ball, I hit the ball kind of guy. He's, He's even said, I don't really think about it that much. I just play baseball. And that's okay. It's a very different type of player. It's just, it's a very interesting perspective to get from the greatest player of his generation, so to say. It feels like something you'd hear a mantle or a, an old-timer player, say, about baseball. He doesn't really do big interviews. He doesn't do specials. He has turned down uh, 60 minutes and bigger things like that. He's never done the home run derby. He says it doesn't really interest him. And he really isn't like the spokesman of anything. Heck, he has a whole, brand, a whole set of Nike brand stuff that wears cleats, all that sort of stuff, when he play softball. He doesn't really promote all that stuff too heavily. He's just a quiet dude who keeps things simple and just loves playing baseball. And for a lot of folks, this is a knock on Trout. And I'll even admit, I've more than once wondered in conversation if it hurts baseball. That he isn't more like a LeBron James type in terms of his personality. That he isn't more outspoken. That he isn't more involved in building a brand or building baseball as a brand but also he's just he's a good humble guy who's active in his community he's a great role model he's literally everything we want an athlete to be and you don't see him act like he's on track to become the greatest player of all time it's just it's a really there's a certain elegance to it i can respect it and above all that i can obviously admire it's Almost like a gentleman's sort of attitude about baseball. And if that's what baseball's going to get from their goat, then sport's in pretty good hands. It's hard not to feel good about that. With that in mind, let's take one last quick break here, and then we'll rank Trout on our big old list. Welcome back. So, before we jump into trying to determine where we're going to end up ranking trout let's actually read real quick here portions of the list here so you get an idea of where we're looking so to do the top 10 real quick we've got number one we had a new number one come into the list last week with mickey mantle number two is greg maddox number three is ichiro number four is george brett number five is adrian beltray number six is clayton kershaw number seven is edgar martinez Number eight is Sadie Koufax. Number nine is Tony Gwen. Number 10 is Hank Greenberg. Jumping ahead, number 15 is Johan Santana. Number 20 is Bryce Harper. Number 25 is Jose Altuve. Number 30 is Corey Kluber. Number 35 is Evan Longoria. Number 40 is Moises Alou. Number 45 is Cabrian Hayes. Number 50 is Aramis Ramirez. And then to round out the last five, we've got 51 is Jim Abbott. 52 is Mike Sweeney, 53 is Herb Score, 54 is Mark Pryor, and 55 is James Paxton. Now, obviously, we're not going to be looking at Mike Trout down there at the bottom of the list there, but obviously, we can jump straight up into the top of the list here. Let's start with Kershaw. So, I think Kershaw sits at number six on the list, and I think he's probably already surpassed Kershaw. He's already surpassed him in war while playing three fewer seasons kershaw does have three cy youngs and mvp to his name but i think i'm still gonna put trout up there especially since kershaw seems to be on the end of his career while trout seems to have more years left and that probably means that trout is going to even extend that gap in war and accomplishments beyond what kershaw already has so i think at this point i'm going to put trout above kershaw here now Above that, we have Adrian Beltre at number five. Now, Beltre still has 10 war on Trout. Trout sits at about 83 war, and Beltre's put up 93.5 war in his career. About 120 more home runs than Trout. But that was spread out over a 21-year career. Now, Beltre didn't win any MVPs, although I think there are some years he should have. He's only a 116 career OPS plus hitter compared to Trout's career mark of 176. For the record, think about that number for a minute. 176 OPS plus means that over Trout's career so far, he has been 76% better by OPS than the average hitter. That's insane. That's a crazy number. And I think it's hard for me to reconcile the gap between those two numbers, between 116 and 176. It's just remarkable. And George Brett sits at number four. Now, he only has about five war on Trout and was a 135 OPS plus hitter. So while closer to Trout, I think that number still matters. Uh, That gap is still pretty big. Trout has already surpassed him in home runs and stolen bases while heading for a nearly identical career average. I think George Brett hit 305 while Trout hit is like 303 for his career. I think we can just... Keep moving up the ladder here, putting George Brett, Trout ahead of George Brett here, especially considering we have to assume Trout will accumulate enough war to surpass Brett and will keep extending that gap between them in home runs and stolen bases and whatnot. Now, we move on to number three, and that's Ichiro. And Ichiro's hard, so technically Ichiro only has about 60 war. But that's only because he played his first eight years of his career in Japan. So you have to imagine he left probably about 20 to 40 WAR or more on the table in terms of you know what we are considering over here in America as part of Major League Baseball. So you, you're probably talking about guys got more, but somewhere between 80 and 100 WAR to his resume, which obviously is more than what Trout has done so far. The other hard part is they're very different players, right? Ichiro was contact and speed and was all this. I, uh, like uh, there's a certain elegance to the way Ichiro played both in the field and with his swing and the way he ran and it's just a very different type of player than Trout where it's all power and dominance they were literally built differently Ichiro's a tiny thinner man while Trout was big and as I mentioned kind of built like a rugby player it's just sort of it's it just you're comparing two very different styles of play and trying to determine if one is superior to the other is tough. They were asked to do different jobs. They filled different roles on their teams. But with that being said, Ichiro was just a 107 OPS plus hitter. And I do want to say that I value power a little more than I do contact ability. Not that I say I devalue contact ability, but I think I give power more... Value leads to more runs, leads to more wins, all that good stuff. But it's also worth asking, could we have seen more power if Ichiro had come over here sooner or things like that? I don't know. I don't I'd love to get at some point on the show someone who is an expert in Japanese baseball and help me fill in the gaps of my lack of knowledge with Japanese baseball. What I will say is that the gap there alone in OPS Plus probably makes me want to put trout over Ichiro. I'm very torn on it. Like I said, I have a a really hard time with this one, especially when you stop and consider Ichiro had a huge cultural impact beyond just his play. He changed the way we look at Asian players playing in in Major League Baseball. And we look at, frankly, the way we look at Asians in America, and especially Japanese Americans, in that way that when, if you go back and listen, one of the very first episodes I did with Andy Patton, was on Ichiro and on his love for Ichiro. And we talked a lot about us. as as two white dudes, one from the Pacific Northwest and one from the Midwest. It was hard for us to really gauge just what the impact of Ichiro playing in Major League Baseball and coming over from Japan and being this icon that he was and then being really an incredible ambassador for baseball not just Japanese baseball but major league baseball that he gets I don't want to say he gets bonus points for but obviously you have to evaluate him as having had a different impact on baseball than if it was just about what he did when he played right now with that being said I know that's when we did that episode that was one of the reasons we put Ichiro so high. Aside from also being an incredible baseball player, one of the reasons Ichiro made it to number three, above like George Brett and Adrian Beltre and, and and Clayton Kershaw, was because of that cultural impact. So I think he's already gotten those bonus points to get there. I think I still put uh, Trout above Ichiro. I don't feel great about it or really feel too overly confident about it, but I think that's where we're going right now. Now looking at number two that's greg maddox now maddox is an even tougher case mostly because we're comparing a pitcher and a hitter now and obviously that makes it even there's even a more difference in style obviously because they're two totally different positions now maddox sits at 106.6 war and while i probably expect trout to accumulate at least another 20 or so war in his career if not more that's a lot to speculate. Again, he's got the back disorder. He's had so many injuries over the last couple of years that you just wonder. I think he's going to get 20 more war, get over to that 100 war mark. I don't want to talk as if it's a sure bet. Do I think he's going to get the 90 war? Yeah, absolutely. He could play four or five more years and as long as he puts together two more war every year of those seasons. He'll get to 90. But he also put up six-something war last year. I don't want to i'm torn into how much i want to speculate his future production right now maddox had four cy youngs to trout's three mvps and obviously i can likely argue that trout should have had somewhere on five or six mvps by now based on his performance if you go back and listen to my episode that i did with matt kovach in season one with greg maddox we talked about how Maddox probably should have five or six Cy Youngs, and he got robbed of a few. I don't think that argument necessarily holds water in the comparison because they both have that argument. And then you add in that, obviously, Maddox is already in the Hall of Fame, which kind of makes me lean his direction. Uh, if you're comparing two equal players, the one in the Hall kind of gets the nod. He's already there, whereas we're still speculating for Trout. But then again, you go the other way, and Maddox never had a single season with a war over 10. Trout has already done that twice, as well as having a 9.9 war season under his belt. So there are some questions as to whether or not, while Maddox was so great over such a long period of time, if you look at some of the individual seasons already, Trout has already done better in individual seasons than Maddox ever did. Now that's tough, but that that is a notch in Trout's belt here. <sighs> this is really tough. Um, I think despite that, I think for now he goes behind Maddox. If Trout comes in 2023 20, and has another six to nine war season, suddenly we're looking at him at 91, 90, 92, with tons of time left on his clock, we'll ch- I'll probably change my tune. But I need to see his health for this season before I do that. What we'll probably do is, I think in the the first probably episode I'll do in the off-season after the 2023 season here for Long Ball Legacies. So probably what I'll do is do a, a year-long retrospective where I look at every player currently in Major League Baseball and factor in how they did and see if that moves them up or down the list. Because we've got a couple guys on this list like Jose Ramirez or Jose Otuve or some of these guys that we're, we're still evaluating how, how their careers pan out. That's probably something I will do at the end of the year. And obviously we'll have to come back and see how Trout did. And like I said, if he gets up in the 90 war range this season, then I'm going to have to probably bump him up. And we'll probably look at him and say, is this an argument that for sure Trout's going to match Maddox in war by the end of his career? Then I think that we can talk about number two. And probably even that if that happens, we could probably start talking about comparing him to Mantle as well so i think for now he slides in behind Maddox at number three but again that'll have a sort of tbd asterisk on his name to revisit next year and see how this year goes okay so that is our episode thank you so much for tuning in i I hope you enjoyed the way we formatted this where we did these trio of players are all connected to each other and visited them in conjunction with each other. It's just three really fun players in Harper and Mantle and Trout and really fun to look at them all compared to each other and just really ask ourselves, who were the greatest players of, of their generation and who are the players that we're going to remember? 50 years down the line, do we talk about Trout and Harper the same way we talked about Mantle? That sort of thing. It's just been a, a very fun thing to to research and to think about and, and podcast about. In terms of what's coming up next, I think at some point here in the future, a Scott Rowland podcast would make sense given his recent Hall of Fame election and kind of look at some players that are good comparisons for him. We'll maybe do the same thing for Todd Helton, who seems right on the cusp of making the Hall of Fame. Maybe we'll save that for next year if he does make it. But also on the same side of things, I'd like to get back to the pitching side of things. I feel like it's been a long time since I've done a pitcher episode and I would like to you know, do that. I was thinking maybe something like a Pedro Martinez or a Randy Johnson or something fun like that. Maybe Nolan Ryan. And start really factoring in some more pitchers because I think I've been just too hitter heavy lately. And other than that, really, I guess until next time, you can always reach the pod uh, on Twitter at lb legacies or you can reach me there on twitter as well at daniel j port we'll be back in two weeks like i said i'm not quite sure who we're going to do yet but so keep an eye out it should be pretty fun to see i'll try and surprise you and i shall see you then in two weeks until then have a great rest of your friday and a great upcoming weekend we'll talk to you later
0: I'm uh-huh.